1: Today we're reading Matthew chapter 7 and the parallel passage, Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. This is a continuation of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is introducing the Kingdom of Heaven, also known as Kingdom of God. And this is a continuation from where we began back in Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Verse 17. This was preached between the second and third Passover feast of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus is likely somewhere in Galilee during this period of time. Now, if you haven't already heard or read the introduction to Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, verse 17, then go back to the reading from four days ago and look at that, because it's vital to understand the concept of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, as it was being presented by Jesus in order to be able to understand uh, this passage of scripture that we'll be looking at today. There's a link on the written notes of BibleTrack.org dot org for today that says read all about the kingdom message and you can click there and go read about that. We take up with the judgmental attitude of the Sadducees and Pharisees as we look at Matthew chapter seven verses one through six and Luke chapter six verses thirty seven through forty two. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? hypocrite first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces now the same passage the same account over in luke chapter 6 verse 37 Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Well, big-time judges of other people. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were, and mean-spirited, too. They were quick to point out the least little infraction of the law, but were blatant violators of the very spirit of the law, as we saw in Matthew chapter 5. As a matter of fact, Jesus mentions the Pharisees by name in this discourse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, when he says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus points out that they're not qualified to pass judgment on others because of this. Notice what Jesus says about them in Luke chapter 6 verse 39. He says, can the blind lead the blind? That's also the point of the analogy that Jesus gives regarding the small splinter in one's eye, the one being judged, compared to the giant beam or plank in the eye of another. That's the one doing the judging. Well, let's take a moment to analyze the concepts that Jesus touches on in this grouping of verses from both perspectives, both Matthew and Luke. First of all, the Pharisees and Sadducees are all about judging, not ministering. We saw that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and the exact phrasing, near exact phrasing, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Then we see that judgment and forgiveness will be returned to one in the same proportion extended. We see that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, paralleled by Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Then an analogy is given regarding blindness as the result of an obstacle in one's eye. That's given in Matthew chapter seven verses three through five, and then again in Luke chapter 6 verses 39 through 42. These Jewish leaders are like scavengers, like dogs or pigs. They can't be trusted with spiritual things, and we see that in Matthew chapter seven verse six. Now this passage has suffered significant abuse by the live and let live crowd. They particularly like to isolate verse one, which says, "Judge not that you be not judged." Isn't it amazing how many people have memorized that verse? Pulling it completely out of the context in which Jesus spoke these words, they use it to criticize those who take a stand for righteousness among those who flaunt their sin. The point here is that the Pharisees practiced a false, high-profile, in-your-face righteousness. The Pharisees were, in fact, corrupt. They weren't righteous. That's the context in which Jesus accused these Pharisees regarding their quick-to-judge practices. In fact, believers are to take a stand for righteousness, and they are to shun believers who do practice sin. You can clearly see that principle in 1 Corinthians 5.11. Here's what it says. It says, "'But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother,' who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. But be careful. Make certain that while you're separating yourself from Christians practicing wickedness, that you don't have glaring inconsistencies in your own Christian testimony. Now, Luke chapter 6, verse 38 It's been very misused by many of those who use it to raise money for their own broadcast ministries. Here's what verse 38 says in Luke chapter 6. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now in this same judge not context, Jesus is telling the people that they should be generous with people instead of judging them. This is not a verse on giving your tithes and offerings to the church or any other ministry. As a matter of fact, Matthew's rendition of this verse is here in verse 2. Here's the way he recounts it. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. When you read it in the context of the passage, well, it's plain to see the sense in which Jesus said these words. As a matter of fact, money doesn't appear to be the object of this verse at all. It's all about forgiveness, along with friendly assistance. Obviously so when you compare both accounts, Matthew and Luke. We're going to get some additional insight into this verse when we get down to verses 7-12 through of Matthew chapter 7. Now, only slightly veiled, Jesus compares the Jewish leaders to blind people leading others and to scavengers. While we tend to read right through these verses without realizing the full impact on the audience, there must have been at least a few red faced Jewish leaders in the crowd that day as Jesus was speaking. Now, let's get some more detail on generosity toward others in verses 7 through 12 of Matthew chapter 7. Verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's interesting to note that these six verses, verses 7-12, on prayer, they're really given as an analogy to illustrate the point of verses 1-6, through where Jesus is talking about being generous, not judgmental toward other people. In other words, just as God is generous toward us as his children... We should be generous toward others. That's the point Luke emphasizes from this monologue by Jesus in verse 38 of chapter 6. And you can see it as well in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, when Jesus says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In the process of making this point, however, Jesus points out that God wants to meet our needs. Jesus here emphasizes the conversational aspect of prayer. He's referring to a comfort level that every believer should have with God that causes them to stay in a constant state of prayer. And that constant state of prayer involves asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus further compares that to how parents answer the persistent petitions of their own children. So here's the point. Just as God loves us and wants the best for us, We should love others and want the best for them. When that's our attitude toward other people, it'll come back to us proportionately. And with regard to persistent conversational prayer with God, Paul has much to say on this issue to believers on the subject when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. He likewise instructs another church, the church at Colossae, in Colossians 4.2, when he says this, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. These comments are similar to those made by Jesus, again, much later in His ministry, and those are recorded in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Let's look at a couple of verses where Jesus talks about the big road and the little road. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. I think that if you'd been a Pharisee sitting there that day, verses 13 and 14 would have cut you to the quick. To whom do you suppose Jesus is referring as he warns against those who are taking this broad way to destruction? You suppose he means the Sadducees and the Pharisees? We know that Jesus had no respect for their manufactured religious practices. It's the same today. The popular religious crowd presents the broad way, while Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that, by the way, is the narrow way. Now, there are those who say they subscribe to the precepts of Scripture, but on the other hand are open to the value of other contrary religions, alternative means whereby one might supposedly obtain eternal life. As a matter of fact, evangelical Christians are often demeaned and even ridiculed for taking the position that one can only go to heaven by trusting Jesus Christ as one Savior. Now, when faced with intense questioning on my position, I simply quote John fourteen six. As I quoted a moment ago, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It simply cannot be stated more clearly than that. It requires no explaining or interpretation. It just is what it is. There is nothing like quoting the clear words of Jesus when you're answering questions on the issue of eternal life. Now we talk about some false prophets as Jesus conveys the issue of these false prophets in Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 to 23 and Luke chapter 6 verses 43 through 46. First, Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, over in Luke chapter 6, Luke just devotes four verses to this. Verse 43, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Now Jesus transitions from the broad way to destruction. We saw that in verses 13 and 14. Now, could it be that here Jesus is calling these Jewish leaders false prophets? Well, let's see. He says, you will know them by their fruits in verse 16. Jesus had been talking about their fruits. They were corrupt. They faked their own righteousness. As a matter of fact, Jesus mentions the Pharisees in this discourse by name in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, earlier. Here's what he said then, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Everyone agrees that the fruits of a false prophet are corrupt because of spiritual corruption. And what happens to those who are spiritually corrupt? Well, there's your answer in verse 19. They're hewn down and cast into the fire. And according to verse 20, Jesus' only words just analyze that fruit. Isn't it just classic Jesus how he was able to categorize these Jewish leaders with the false prophets without actually saying so directly? You should notice that Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 20 corresponds to Luke chapter 6 verses 43 through 45, but from two different accounts of the same message that day. The in-your-face application for this corrupt fruit analogy is found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and also in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Since Matthew was more graphic and detailed with his rendition of the closer, let's consider his words here once again. He said this, But these Jewish leaders had really, really good resumes, right? Ooh, look again at verses 21 through 23. A lot of religious people are in for a big surprise. Could it be that a righteous-looking resume isn't at all what God's looking for? God's looking for a heart surrendered to Him. Even though these Jewish leaders appeared as sheep... They were actually wolves who didn't have the best interest of the common everyday Jew in mind. Hmm. Is Jesus really calling these very religious leaders wolves? Absolutely. To verify, let's look closely at the wording of chapter 6, verse 46 of Luke. He says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Now, both verbs, the Greek word kaleo for call, and the Greek word poieo for do, both of them are second-person plural verbs. That's the equivalent of our southern expression, y'all, y'all call and y'all do. They're plural. In short, Jesus is actually addressing the guilty people of this passage right there in his audience. And one more thing. Notice verse 45 of Luke chapter 6. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. That corresponds to the message of the Holy Spirit leadership of believers in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Let's look at those words by the Apostle Paul. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. The very condemnatory words of the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day were actually self-condemning. Evil men speak evil things. God-led men speak godly things. It's really just that simple. And in conclusion, Jesus issues a warning about heeding what they just heard. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29, and Luke chapter 6, verses 47 through 49. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock." But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, Luke's three verses on the subject and the conclusion. Verse 47, chapter 6. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus' message, this Sermon on the Mount, it was packed full of spiritual indicators. So here's the invitation. Do you go on as you were, or will you respond to the call for true holiness a holiness of the heart. Notice what Matthew says about the teaching of Jesus on this occasion in verse 29, when he says, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus gave them a house built on a rock teaching, as opposed to the house built on sand teaching of the professional teachers. Those were the scribes. If it needs to be spelled out more clearly, well, here it is. The Jewish leaders of that day, they were religious, but they had no foundation for their religious practice. Jesus here is issuing an invitation to establish one's faith on the rock of the truth of God's word through Jesus Christ.
0: This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Waltham.